You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last time. We hope it is schedule release week. Huge date on the offseason NFL calendar. Everybody's very excited. There's already been leaks. Uh, well, the big announcements first were the international games. But uh, big day as we record today. The rest of the schedule gets announced tonight, Thursday the 12th. Uh, news earlier this week that I think kind of hit everybody by surprise was Tom Brady uh, signing the biggest contract, I think one of the biggest sports contracts, if you include players, in the world right now, including some of these major soccer players. So whenever he decides to retire, Fox is ponying up 375 big ones over 10 years. And we are here for it. Alex, when you hear that, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I'd retire tomorrow. All right, I'll take that deal. I'll go in the booth and I'll do the games in September. Why do you need to play? I mean, Tom Brady is going to make more money now as an announcer than he did during his time when he was playing, or he's still playing at this time. So it's a huge deal. I mean, you told me off air that it's going to double what the lead big analysts make like Romo and Aikman. So there's a lot of faith here, and obviously they want to get... You know, Tom Brady in the booth, and Fox wants to get those ratings up because, hey, they lost Aikman. They lost Buck. So they need to get back into it. They want to get the big players. And who is bigger than Tom Brady at this point? No one. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a big swing, and I'm sure it took a big swing and a lot of money for Brady to even consider it. Competitive guy, obviously, versus Manning, of course, the head-to-head, and they've got the Manning cast, and it was all the rage this past season. Now, again, it's, a, it's separate from sitting in a booth with a play-by-play guy. I mean, you have to make your point. You got to make it quick and, and so forth. Where the Manning cast is a little more uh, relaxed. The two guys are at home, but you know, Peyton still, they're still competing. And the fact that he got double what these other guys are getting, uh, you mentioned Romo, uh, Aikman, you know, then the play by play guys that are getting big money this year. So a lot of big money going out to the announcers. And it, I guess it's great for those guys and just that particular part of the telecast. But God, that's a, that's a lot of cash. And like you said, there's only a few guys that are getting more per annum that are actually playing the game. And he's going to get that much to, you know, in the booth. So congratulations to Tom. Again, he's going to have a tough retirement. <laughs> You just wish this guy could get some breaks. But again, I mean, he's worked his ass off his whole life, and he continues to. So, I mean, if anybody deserves it, it's him. As I mentioned, the schedule release, the one thing, I mean, they're leaking things out, and, you know, there's some huge matchups this year. I mean, Buffalo plays Cincinnati. Buffalo plays Kansas City. Buffalo plays Green Bay. Uh, The Chiefs have, you know, a, a pretty strong schedule with their extra game against Tampa Bay, which got leaked, well not leaked out today, NBC announced it, I'm sure they wanted to get in on this, week four, Sunday night football, 
like uh, obviously Mike Tirico and uh, and Chris Collinsworth there. But yeah, some some huge matchups. The Chiefs are obviously the AFC West plays the NFC West. We'll talk about the NFC West and their and their uh, draft in a few minutes. But I guess the the one thing that hasn't been released, and this is probably the biggest one, is who's going to play in the opener? Who's going to play in Los Angeles? Uh, some great candidates. I mean, the Bills, Dallas, Las Vegas. I mean, these are all opportunities. Denver game was already uh, taken. Denver is playing the Rams on Christmas Day. Who do you think it's going to be, Alex? A redo of Dallas, Jerry Jones flexing his muscles, getting back there on opening night two years in a row? Or do you think maybe the upstart Raiders or let's get Josh Allen in there, you know, the would-be Super Bowl favorites for this year against the Super Bowl champs? Come on, let's go. I would take the Bills versus the Rams, so I would take the Chiefs versus the Rams because, hey, those are the two teams that are gonna still going to be the top dogs in the AFC. So I think you want to go with the quarterback matchups and who is bigger than you know Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes versus Matthew Stafford and the Los Angeles Rams who won the Super Bowl. So those would be my two teams, the AFC against the NFC, and hey, let, let's do it. Yeah, they're probably not going to start with a division game, right? You, I don't think they would they would do that for the opener. Although, you know, some of the lesser teams have played. But, you know, it is opening night. You want the glitz, the glam, you know, everything else. And again, it's going to be Tariko and Collinsworth. I think NBC has it. So anyway, yeah, there's so many different ways that they can go. But again, uh, a lot of intrigue. But yeah, Buffalo would be mine. I mean, I think you know, they're hands down. I don't want to say hands down because the AFC is going to be a gauntlet, but at this point, you got to believe they're the, they're the favorite to come out of the AFC. Everybody's healthy, everything, all things being equal. Yeah, a lot of good matchups there. And and the, I guess the other part before we get to the, the our favorite day two picks here is the interesting thing for the NFL now putting a triple header on Christmas Day. Most of that week's games will be played on the Saturday before Christmas, but now they're just basically saying, NBA, excuse us while we rob you of your big ratings day. That just seems like such a flex that they're just saying, you know what? We know we're the top dog. You know we're the top dog. You know, it's your move now. Because usually the NBA has like five games on Christmas Day. The NFL is the top dog. Oh, I think no we question. all know this. Yeah. And so, hey, if they want to rob the NBA of their, you know, of their big day, they're certainly able to do it. And they're certainly going to flex their muscle. Roger Goodell doesn't care. Hello? You really No, I mean, this, it's, all, it's all about the cash. And, you know, why not take advantage of three prime spots in you know, an early game, late afternoon game, and then a night game? So... God bless them, and uh, they're going to milk this cow until until she's dry. All right, so day two of the draft. We did uh, the overall recap last week for the most part, but uh, let's look at some day two picks. I mean, obviously, day two is round two and three. Uh, we talked about winners and losers last week, but looking in, in the second round where some te- even some of the teams that were winners made some, I don't know about amazing picks, but some huge picks and guys that could have been first rounders and we'll start right at the top where I'm looking at uh, well actually about four picks in where the Jets moved up a couple of spots with the Giants uh, gave up I think a fifth 
and wanted to get, I think, ahead of the Texans to get themselves Brees Hall. Got to have been rated by just about everybody as the top back in the draft. And here they get him at pick 36. It only cost them a fifth to move up a couple of spots. And I think he and Michael Carter and the offensive line for the Jets, you know, just make them an instant, I don't know about success, but a huge improvement. That's for sure. Write it down, Lou. The the Jets are going to have a better record than the Patriots next year. I almost guarantee it. And I think it's a lot of it is going to become because of the, the running game. I mean, Brees Hall is a huge get. He's a three down back. He's got good balance. He's got very good speed. You know, he's tough to tackle in space. He also has reliable hands. The Jets needed an every down back for you know Zach Wilson and that offense, and they got him. They got a workhorse. Through his three years, he had like over 800 plus carries. But so did Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin. He even had more. And the Colts got a steal in the second round of that draft. So I think Brees Hall was one of my favorite picks of the second round. As far as another guy that I'm looking at, a guy that always flashed for me. It's a pick right after Brees Hall. The Houston Texans got a safety in Jalen Petrie. And like whenever you turned on the Baylor game, I mean, this kid was making plays. I felt like he should have gone in the first round because he can line up all over. You know, he could play in the box. He can play deep. He can play in the slot. So he's versatile. You know, he has quick feet. He has very good bursting coverage, covers a lot of ground, shoots the gaps in the run game. He was a playmaker for Baylor defense. I mean, during his last couple of years. So I thought Petrie in general was an underrated player. So to me, Hall and Petrie are kind of like 1A and 1B. Who else are you looking at in round two? Well, I was just going to say about Petrie, he was on, he's on that uh, Baylor track team you know, that, that they put into this year's draft. I mean, a bunch of guys were sub 4440 guys, and obviously he's, he's part of that. Another one, an interesting one, and we may have touched on this a little bit last week, but I'm going to hit it again, is the Ravens with Ojabo at 45. They did their medicals, and they did their homework and everything else, and I'm sure every team did. It just depends on you know where you are in your development as a team. And I think if they get everybody that was injured last year back, plus this plethora of draft picks that they brought in and some free agents, that they could afford to bring him along. He doesn't have to, obviously, doesn't he's not going to play right away. He may even miss the entire season. But there's you know just a few teams that are kind of in that boat that can say, hey, we know the potential. We can take our time. It's not going to kill us. Not really giving away, but kind of putting off this second round pick until next season. And if he does come back earlier, hey, that's a little bit of a bonus. But as far as just raw pass rush ability, he had to be up there among the top three or four, don't you think? Yeah, you would have been a top 15 pick if it wasn't for the injury, if not higher. So, I mean, they, the NFL thought very highly of him. It's just unfortunate that he got injured during his training. I'm looking at the next pick, and it's actually by the Detroit Lions. Again, on the defensive line. We all know that they got Aiden Hutchinson with that number two overall pick, and they lucked out. But they also got Josh Pascoe from Kentucky. And I just think this guy anchors really well. He gets off blocks. He's very tenacious. He was a three-time captain for the Wildcats. And that just says a lot. I mean, he w- he's going to be one of those guys for Campbell that's just going to be tenacious on every down. I think he's going to play outside opposite of Hutchinson. But on those obvious passing downs, I think he's going to kick inside. He has that versatility. So 
Pascal is kind of an underrated guy that not many people talk about. But whenever you looked at that defense, and Kentucky had a really good defense the last couple of years, Pascal was the guy that was making a lot of plays for him, especially on the defensive line. He wrecked havoc, and another guy that kind of went unnoticed, in my opinion, in this draft that not many people are talking about. I mean, as a whole, I mean, Kentucky, I mean, you look at the, the S, you think of the SEC, obviously, you got Georgia and Alabama at the top, and they get, you know, 90% of the shine, and every other team is kind of battling for scraps. I mean, LSU, every year, they're going to put in players for one reason or another, they can't kind of get it together, except for the magical season with Joe Burrow and, and win a lot of games, but they're always supplying uh, the NFL with players on an annual basis. But Kentucky, slowly but surely, with Stoops there as, as the coach and the recruiting and everything, I mean, they, they seem every year, not as many as like an LSU, but it, you, you just see them start to come out. Wandell Robinson went a few picks before him. To me, was a little bit of a surprise, but still, you know, you've got some talent coming out of the Bluegrass State there in Kentucky. So that was, uh, yeah, I like that one too. I thought, you know, Nick Benito from Oklahoma was an interesting one. I figured he would go, you know, top half of the second round. I, I, I was guessing, I mean, I, again, I don't know these things, but, you know, between 33 and 45, I'm thinking, you know, so in that slot where, uh, you know, like Ojabo and Pascal went, you would think that Benito would have been there as well. I don't know, you know, do you look at him as more of a one-trick pony, more of a speed rusher, bend around the edge guy, and not much else? Again, he'd have to fit a particular scheme. I don't know. I think it comes down to development and so forth, but it really surprised me that he lasted all the way to 64. I think that's a steal, Lou, to be honest with you. I mean, you always need speedy edge rushers with great closing burst, and that's what Benito had when you looked at the games for the Sooners, when you looked at his tape. And he goes to a team that doesn't necessarily need him to step up in a full-time role. The Broncos have Bradley Chubb. They signed Randy Gregory in this offseason. So Nick Bonito is just going to be a situational pass rusher on third downs. He's going to learn behind those guys. I think that's a huge plus. So when you talk about him going to a team at the end of the second round, but he just went to a team to a good fit, a team like the Broncos that are going to be able to bring him along slowly, and he can learn behind some of those you know, savvy veterans that have been, you know, in the NFL for a few years. It's a great fit uh, for both the team and the player. I feel the same way, and I talked about it last week with the 52nd overall pick by the Steelers when they got George Pickens out of Georgia. I mean, this kid has a chance to be really special. The reason why he fell, he had some injury concerns, and he had some character concerns. But when you look at him, he's smooth. I mean, he's a threat after the catch. He makes a lot of downfield catches. He tracks the ball really well. He's a hands catcher, and he can get off the press already. He's lanky, and he's like your prototypical like X receiver out there. So I wouldn't be surprised if Pickens becomes the best receiver from this draft class, period, if the focus is on. And he certainly goes to the right team. The Steelers know how to draft receivers, and they know how to develop them. So once again, the fit... Is perfect here. Yeah, and another, I guess, an overarching story here is, I mean, it was in the first round with wide receivers, and it was just as much in the second round, maybe not as 
you know, as storied or as, I guess, as highly rated. But still, you got a lot of guys with some big potential, Pickens being one of them. But you had Watson up there with Green Bay. So, I mean, he's going to get every opportunity to to excel. Uh, Mentioned Wondell Robinson. You had Mechie Pierce we had on the show. Pros like us plug the dust. It is a real thing. So there he is in the second round. Sky Moore to the Chiefs. And I think those are are pretty much the the top guys in that particular round. And then as far as just another pick that that I would look at, and as I'm looking down at it now, I didn't have him circled earlier, but I guess James Cook going to Buffalo. I mean, you talk about a fit and somebody that doesn't necessarily have to, you know, perform at a high level right away. This is a guy that, again, we, we've been talking a lot about positionless football and a lot of times that we talk about it on the defensive side of the ball. Other than Debo Samuel, not that he's going to be Debo Samuel, but I think he's got some of those traits that you can line him up in the slot. You can take him outside. He's a great receiver, and obviously you can hand him the ball and do really well. Buffalo's, you know, they've, they've tried different backs and Singletary and Moss and, you know, and they've had some limited success. But here's another guy you can throw into that mix and really put some pressure on defenses because you're so loaded all, at all the other positions. So in terms of fit, in terms of opportunity, that's a huge one and he's going to pay dividends. Well, James Cook can catch like 70 or 80 passes during his rookie season from Josh Allen. Just because he's going to be dangerous coming out of the backfield, he can line up out of the slot. He would remind a lot of people of Giovanni Bernard, I think, or maybe, you know, Alvin Kamara in that way. I think he's just going to be dangerous out of the backfield out there. All right, let's talk about the third round, Lou. And look, I criticize the Jaguars for their pick of Trayvon Walker, number one overall. But I like Chad Muma out of Wyoming at 70. Uh, I mean, this kid uh, was a playmaker. He's just all over the field. He's a rangy run defender. He chases. He pursues after the football. I thought that was really fantastic value because he's a three-down guy. He picked off a lot of passes out there, especially in zone coverage, covered a lot of ground. He was one of the best inside linebackers in this draft as far as I'm concerned, and there was a reason why he was he was at the Senior Bowl. So I'm going to praise that pick by Trent Baalke. Just linebackers in general, you don't see a lot. I mean, unless they're, they are an edge rusher and, and a linebacker, per se, but the edge rushing is what's going to get you drafted. And the guys that play inside, the downhill, you know, guys that are going to come in up and, and run support and do that sort of thing, you know, the value is always pushed back. We can get guys like that. We need guys that, you know, can cover, can rush, can do, can do everything. And I guess that takes me to one of my guys here, is Nakobe Dean. It's one of these, you know, kind of injury red flags, but it didn't seem like it was that reported, like it was a terrible injury. It was just something that, you know, was kind of hampering him. Eagles seemed to be okay with it. That was a, a just a tremendous defense. Seemed like everybody on that team got drafted that was draft eligible, and he was kind of the leader of that group. Maybe not the biggest guy, maybe not the fastest guy, but obviously sideline to sideline, he can get there. Regardless of what you want to say about his about his speed or his size, he can make those plays. And the Eagles, it just seems like for years, have been like in need of somebody like that. And to fall to them at eighty three, I thought that was that was a pretty good pick by Howie Roseman and that crew. 
There's only one quarterback I liked in this draft, Lou, and that's Matt Corral out of Old Miss. So I, as far as I'm concerned, the Panthers got a steal in 94. There were off-the-field issues. Teams said that he didn't impress them during the meetings on, on the board. But when you strictly look at the tape, Corral was the best quarterback in this draft class the last couple of years. He cut down on his turnovers. He's got a quick release. He's accurate in the short, intermediate game. He's athletic enough. He can throw on the move. He can move move outside of the pocket. I mean, that's what the NFL is about right now. When Sam Darnold falls flat on his face, Corral is going to be thrown into the fire, but that might be a good thing for him, and he might actually, you know, rescue that coaching staff and the front office. That's the one pick that I'm behind on. I hope he makes it. I hope he's going to be able to, you know, conquer some of his demons, and I hope, you know, his best football and all those off-the-field issues are behind him. I'm looking at a quarterback as well, and in terms of fit, opportunity, I mean, let's see, you know, how his game translates, but, I mean, just the intangible part of it, I think that's in good place. I think going to Atlanta, Desmond Ritter, you know, you've got Mariota there, and they're, I guess, somewhat similar players. And Mariota probably ran the ball a lot more in college uh, than Ritter did, but he has that that ability to do it. Uh, he's a smart dude. Arthur Smith is a, a great offensive coordinator, and I think as far as just the opportunity to go in somewhere and there's no expectations for him to play, but I think he will see the field. I don't know that Mariota's ever played a full season, so I think you know to me. Um, getting him at 74, you know, again, depending on how they had these guys. Obviously, the NFL told us during the draft that these guys weren't rated as high as everybody, you know, may have thought they would have been, or they were rated properly and they weren't pushed up. I mean, short of Kenny Pickett going the first round, but but they were kind of drafted where they were rated. But in terms of fit and maybe an opportunity to play. Not right away, but we'll get some some run this year. I think Desmond Ritter for the Falcons, that turned out to be a a nice play for them. All right, one last day two pick that I'm really behind on is wide receiver from Purdue, David Bell. I realize that you make a big deal about wide receivers running a 4.65 at the combine, and that's slow. I get it. But you know what? We've seen plenty of guys that have run 4.6s that have turned out to be Hall of Fame wide receivers, all right? And I'm not saying David Bell is going to make it into the Hall of Fame, but, you know, the one, the last wide receiver that really comes to mind is like Jarvis Landry, who was a really crafty route runner, who had excellent hands coming out of LSU, but just wasn't, wasn't fast on the clock, but knew how to get open. And that's what David Bell is. He's a hands catcher. I love his hands. You know, he's not going to project as a big play guy, but you can count on him to get you that first down on those third and five, third and six, whether it's as an outside receiver or as a slot receiver. So I think the Browns really good. got a good wide receiver here. All right, very good. Last wide receiver, just a quick mention, I thought that maybe slipped a little bit more, was Jalen Tolbert from USA, uh, number 88 to the Cowboys. I don't know that it could have worked out much better for them at that pick, needing wide receiver depth. 
And uh, this kid again playing in the in the Sun Belt and, and playing at uh, South Alabama. They don't get a lot of run on TV. You don't hear a lot about him. But during the process, anytime you watched him play, um, now we had talked to J- his uh, teammate uh, Jalen Wayne, correct? If I remember right, we had didn't we have him on the show? Yes, we did. The wide receiver. We did South right. Belt. And, you know, he talked about him and, you know, glowing reports from him. His teammate obviously knew him really well. But I think that's going to be a good pick for the Cowboys. Again, not expected to come in and set the world on fire, but to add some depth, especially, uh, you know, with the injury to Gallup. And we'll see, you know, how long it takes for him to get back on the field. All right. Let's go to Alex's favorite division, the NFC West. As we mentioned, uh, or as Alex mentioned off air, uh, we don't typically start in the West. So let's flip the script a little bit. Okay. Do we go alphabetically? Do you want to start with your Niners? Let's do, what do you want let's to do? go with Arizona. Let's, let's go, with, go Arizona. with Arizona. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be uniform on this show, baby. We're going to stay in, stay in the lines. <laughs> no fooling around. Okay, so they didn't have a first-round pick. They traded that for Hollywood Brown. So let's just put that Hollywood Brown as their first-round pick. Come back with one of our guys, Trey McBride, in the second round. Uh, pass rushers in the third. And then they don't pick again till, uh, you know, Saturday, late Saturday, sixth round, and some seventh-rounders. But, again, I, I think the Trey McBride pick was very intriguing because you don't think – of that offense as being tight end heavy. They've got Zach Ertz. Now you go in the second round. So I think it's starting to tell us that, again, and it's not that we didn't know or you didn't see it as the season was going on, but this quote-unquote air raid offense is kind of morphing a little bit into some of the strengths that Arizona has and maybe they're going to want to run the ball a little bit more use double tight ends to get some matchup issues especially you know uh, with uh, Nuke Hopkins being out the first six games of the year so I thought that was a pretty intriguing pick and a very telling pick right at the top. Yeah, that blew me away because that was the last team that I thought that was going to spend like an early pick on a tight end because they signed Zach Ertz to a three-year deal. They also have Max Williams still there, even though he has struggled to stay healthy. So I'm curious to see how McBride is going to fit into this. Obviously, he's he's a good route runner. You know, he makes a lot of plays after the catch and he's a receiving tight end. But we'll see how this this offense morphs like into what they're trying to build because usually i mean they still do rely on wide receivers and they did rely on wide receivers very heavily last year as well but you know i hope trey mcbride becomes kyler murray's best friend yeah because again you've got this you know smallish wide receivers that are on the field especially with hollywood um you've got the aging aj green and Rondale Moore. So they've got some smaller guys. So now, you know, some bigger tight ends. Nuke comes back, obviously, bigger body. AJ's bigger, but, I mean, he's a little longer in the tooth. They're loading up a little bit. Cam Thomas was an interesting name because his name kept coming up as, you know, maybe like a top, eh, maybe like a 5 to 10 edge rusher. They get him in the, in the third round. Um, again, I probably saw, you know, a couple San Diego State games. Am I going to sit here and tell you, you know, everything that he can do? He looked like a great player. I don't Alex, I mean, I'm going to lean on you for some of these. To be honest with you, I wasn't ecstatic with like the other picks. I realized that they got Cam Thomas and they got 
Sanders from Cincinnati. You know, one guy is going to be, you know, an edge rusher. I'm talking about Sanders at 228. And Cam Thomas is more of a run defender, you know, who can take on blocks, who can set it up, and he's relentless in pursuit. And I guess that's what Arizona is looking for, for that scheme. But I wasn't ecstatic with those two picks. And when I look at, like, day three picks for them, like Keontae Ingram, the running back from USC, you know, who played at Texas before. I can't say that the Arizona Cardinals blew me away with any one of their picks. That's all. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to give grades here. But Arizona is just, you know, it's that's not one of my favorite drafts. Yeah, it's hard. You know, you lose Chandler Jones, and now you're taking, you know, some day, day two picks to try to fill those shoes. And it's obviously that's not going to happen. Uh, you wouldn't think unless, you know, you really get lucky. So that remains to be seen. How about uh, Lukita or Lukita from, from Penn State? You know, his name, on, on, again, some of the, the media members' draft boards seem like he, his name was a little bit higher than a seventh-round pick. What do, what do you know about him? Well, he's a run defender, Lou. He's a run defender that I think, you know, needs to improve his his pass rush moves. You know, while he's been in like a a disruptive edge rusher, I think he recorded, you know, like to me, like this is my scouting report on him. A very good run defender, chases, has good effort, but needs to develop more as a pass rusher in, in those moves. I think he went where he went. I just... I didn't see him as like a early day three pick. And, you know, Arizona certainly needs those edge rushers for that scheme. So they're taking another one. And Sanders was another one as well because, I mean, Sanders, what, measured like 6'4". I think it was like he was like 6'4", 247 pounds at his pro day. But he was like 228 at the combine. And that's just, that really baffled me a little bit. In that regard, I, I always hate when guys jump up and down in terms of their weight when they can't like maintain a certain weight every time. If they if guys are like 235, 240 at the combine and at the pro day, I can believe that that's their real weight. When when you see a guy that really just like comes out of nowhere, I don't know, and gains like 20 pounds from his from the combine to his pro day, I mean, you start to wonder what the hell is going on. What's his real weight? How much water is he drinking, you know, during that pro day? Less than glowing remarks for the for the Arizona Cardinals there. Next, we go to F them picks, baby. Yeah, the Super Bowl champs, Los Angeles Rams, didn't pick until the third round, number 104, late into that round. They famously, during their... Uh, press conference leading up to the day two because they didn't have any picks, you know, first first and second round, when their reaction was just priceless when uh, the kid from UT Chattanooga, uh, Strange, goes to New England and uh, McVeigh is kind of like look, looking at Snead and say, oh my God, he just went? We spent all that time looking at him thinking he'd be there at 104. So at 104, they take another guard except Wisconsin. Where else would you go to get a guard other than Wisconsin or a Big Ten school? Logan Bruss, then the HBCU uh, DB, cornerback to Kobe Durant, Kyron Williams from Notre Dame, Quentin Lake, the son of Carnell Lake, famous uh, Pittsburgh Steeler, uh, Derlon Kendrick, another Georgia defender, Daniel Hardy, Russ Yeast, A.J. Ar- Curie from Michigan State, 
So again, the reason I list them all is that I don't know that any of them really stand out for me. And obviously, Kyron Williams, just to the, I guess, the casual fan, because he played at Notre Dame, he saw a lot of their games. Quentin Lake, because of the, the lineage there and the fact that, you know, he did he did show up sometimes in the Pac-12 to Kobe Durant because, again, HBCU, we had a couple of these guys go uh, in the third and fourth round, cornerbacks. But as far as the Rams are concerned, just the whole thing, their, their whole theory, the way, the way they, they've built their team in using those early round picks as currency for some known commodities, players that are have already excelling in the league, but the only way that works is if you hit on the rest of your picks. And they've done a pretty good job through the last few years of doing that. So given everything that I just said, some of these guys are probably going to surprise me at least. I, I just wanted to kind of get your take, Alex. and Because, again, most of their picks are these later round picks. Well, whatever Snead is doing, it has worked. Yeah. <laughs> he has mortgaged his future for the now he has traded like crazy for anybody and everybody, and they won a Super Bowl, Lou. But I think Logan Bruss is not a bad offensive lineman to have. I think he started like 25, 26 games at right tackle, but he projects as a guard at the next level. He's can't versatile. Go wrong with a, can't go wrong with a badger on the offensive line, man. Yeah, they like to run the football, and, and this guy can certainly be a mauler. You know, he's got quick feet, and, you know, I just— He's a good zone blocker, and that's what the Rams run. And again, he's not going to play tackle. He's going to play guard for him. So I like that pick. Quentin Lake I like as well because he's a good wrap-up tackler. He shows good instincts and range in the deep half, and he has that lineage with his father who, who played in the NFL, had a great career with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Carnell Lake. So Quentin Lake is not a bad pick there in the sixth round. So I think those two guys are my favorite picks. You know, Kendrick, before he transferred to Georgia at Clemson, he was being talked about as a first-round pick. I had him as a first-round pick, like, in the offseason for the 2022 NFL draft. So I thought very highly of him. When he transferred to Georgia, obviously, you know, he, he shows good. He's a good athlete. You know, he shows good hands because he's a former wide receiver. But... You know, his lack of speed shows up on tape. His pro day wasn't very good. And then there's some off-the-field issues. So if Jalen Ramsey can take this guy under his wing, I think Kendrick could turn out to be a pretty good player. So I'm just saying, he's kind of the wild card here. Not my favorite pick, but getting him here in the sixth round for a guy that was projected to be like a first, second-round pick, I would say you're getting good value there. And like we said, I mean, he, they've done a tremendous job developing these guys that they bring in. So you don't see that really changing much, although, you know, the coaching staff has turned over a lot. So we'll see if that trend continues. So Seattle, Seattle had the only first round pick of the division. They were making moves the whole time. And I thought they made some good moves. And typically, you know, Seattle's drafts have always been a little, I don't know if you want to say out of the box, out of the norm. They just kind of have their way of doing things. So at number nine, they come away with Charles Cross, who we had talked about perhaps in play at uh, number five for the Giants before the draft. 
right? I mean, we thought that he was he was going to be in play for one of those teams. So I think, you know, they probably got good value there. Boye Mafe certainly could have been a first-round pick at the bottom of the round. They get him in the second uh, with that same deal that they did with Denver. Uh, Kenneth Walker, I thought, was a great pick. Abraham Lucas, again, a name that was, had been talked about, maybe going even a little higher than that. Kobe Bryant uh, from Cincinnati. You know, I, you know, again, as far as looking at guys that prior to the draft that we heard you know, were going in certain places, this was really, I mean, to me, a little different than what they normally do. This seemed more like uh, a you know, kind of, I don't want to say a standard draft, but something that was a little closer to maybe what you'd see a different team make, like, like a Baltimore or somebody that typically drafts well. So this kind of threw me as I'm looking at the players that they took because normally it's like, WTF? I mean, what? <laughs> who is that? Why are they taking them there? But it seemed like you know they took guys where they were kind of figured to go. Some you know went uh, a little bit later than you thought, so they got value, perceived value, let's say. But uh, I don't know. What do you think of Seattle's overall? Charles Cross was my favorite tackle in this entire draft. He's a true left tackle. He's a blindside protector. He fits that Seattle scheme. He's the most polished pass protector in this year's class. And I just think he's got smooth feet. He's a natural knee bender. He just makes it look easy, Lou. You know, I thought I saw that comparison on ESPN to Ron Armstead. And I agree with that. And I think that's a really good comparison. And I wouldn't be surprised if Charles Cross does become the best offensive tackle out of this draft class. And then it makes sense that in the third round they would address the right tackle position and get Abraham Lucas and try to get another running back and Ken Walker in the second round out of Michigan State. He was the second best running back in this draft class. And then it's a typical Seattle draft on day three when they start going after those secondary players, okay? And they got one that really just sticks out because he fits their scheme, he fits how they scout corners. It's Tariq Woolen from UTSA. He's a former wide receiver. He's only played corner for two years, but he just fits that press zone corner with great size, long arms, speed. They can teach him how to play corner. I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle finds another gem here in, in Woolen in the fifth round. See, I think Kobe Bryant was also one that I thought was a was a good pick. I mean, obviously Sauce Gardner was getting a lot of a lot of the attention, you know, for since the University of Cincinnati and Kobe Bryant's playing the other side. So again, yeah, I think it, the, the thing about Woolen, I think he didn't he he ran the fastest forty at the combine uh, for for a defensive back, if I, if I recall. So that was maybe a little bit different where in the past, like a Richard Sherman, where again, the speed wasn't quite there, but all the other intang- like intangibles and physical skills were there, like former wide receiver. So obviously, you know, good ball skills, the whole thing. But I guess the difference with Woolen is that he's just lightning fast. So uh, yeah, I kind of I liked what they did. Bo Melton, the wide receiver from Rutgers, uh, again, Rutgers doesn't get a lot of love in, in drafts, but again, this kid was, you know, I would, was thinking maybe he would be like a late fourth, fifth round, sixth round pick. He ends up going late in the seventh, so I think they got some value there. All right, here we go. The moment everybody's been waiting for. 
The San Francisco 49ers. Again, no first-round pick, but with pick number 61, Drake Jackson from USC, uh, edge rusher. Uh, Davis Price, the running back from LSU. Danny Gray, I thought, was a very good pick. You know, a lot of speed there. He's going to compete right away in that wide receiver room. Um, and then you can go over some of the other ones. Uh, I guess then, again, I'm leaning towards Penn State. Uh, full disclosure, my daughter went to Penn State, just graduated. And so I paid a little bit more attention to Penn State than the other schools. I live in Pennsylvania, so that's why I keep mentioning these Penn State guys. But I thought Castro Fields was a guy that might go a little bit earlier. So I don't have at it, man. This is your team. Let's do it. All right. As a typical fan, I, I didn't like the 49ers. <laughs> why doesn't that surprise me? I know you, you last week you just you gushed over the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I don't know. I think it's like their first year in a long time. Maybe it's just guys like I said last time. I it just seemed like they were, they took the guys that I wanted them to take and that's that's probably why I liked it. Yeah. Let I don't know if they can play or not, but yeah, I'd like the guys they took. All right, so my favorite pick of the draft was Drake Jackson because I think you can never have enough pass rushers and Arden Key signed with Jacksonville. D Ford is, you know, what, 31 years old? And, you know, he's on his last legs. So I think Dre Jackson is good value here. He shows the flexibility. He closes well when he's rushing the passer. He shoots his hands well. So there's some ability there. Not the longest guy. Not the most productive guy. I guess I expected more out of him during this year at USC because I looked at him coming into the season as like a top 15 guy. But he never became that that player in the Pac-12. Like he never came on. I felt like this guy could be like the second coming of Kayvon Thibodeau. Like Thibodeau is one. And then I thought coming into the season, Drake Jackson was number two. In the Pac-12, you know, but he never became that player. And that's the reason why he fell. So I think this was good value in that regard. I never argue with Kyle Shanahan when they pick wide receivers. And Danny Gray certainly has the speed. He has the ability to do some things after the catch. But he's got to catch the ball better. I mean, he drops too many passes for my liking from what I've seen on, on Phil. And my favorite day three pick... He's not he's never gonna sniff the field, but I like Brock Purdy. Like he throws with good anticipation. He's accurate, he's gutsy, he's a leader, he started a lot of games at Iowa State. He's never gonna be a starter. He's never gonna challenge Trey Lance, and he's gonna be a number three quarterback this year. But I have the confidence that Kyle Shanahan can develop Purdy into a capable backup who can play in this league for the next ten or twelve years. Mr. Irrelevant, um, and only because he was the 262nd pick. I mean, obviously, he had a great college career. He's got some skills. Obviously, he wasn't mentioned in the you know with the top quarterbacks in this draft. And when you're looking at the class as a whole being weak, you know, what the, where does that really put him? But like you said, he's got the smarts. He's a guy that teams will like to have because you know he's going to know the offense inside and out. And if you're in a jam, he's going to come in and you're going to be able to function and play the game the way, you know, the way you want to play it and not make, you know, a bunch of boneheaded errors because he doesn't know what he's doing. So, uh, yeah, from that perspective, I guess the, the, the elephant in the room, though, Alex, is, okay, who, what, what are they going to do at, at, at starting quarterback? You know, is Jimmy G, I mean, is there a chance 
that because the trade market is pretty much dried up, I don't know that anybody's gonna give them anything of value at this point. I don't think they have any desire in just outright cutting him. So the only other option is to keep him around. But does then that mean, you know, he's waiting in the wings while Trey Lance plays? Or does Jimmy start again? They didn't trade up to number three and give up all those picks to not have Trey Lance start in 2020. You would certainly think that, wouldn't you? Yes, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. But here we are. What do you do? He's going to get cut. He's going to get cut come summertime. They're going to give him a chance to catch on with some other team before training camp. You know, Jimmy G is is a smart dude, and I'm sure he's going to catch on somewhere and start a lot of games for another franchise. But it's not going to be in San Francisco. I don't think there's any trade value for him. He's going to get cut. Trey Lance is the starting quarterback. Brock Purdy is going to battle for that backup job. But as far as, like, the NFC West is concerned, I thought that... The 49ers and the Cardinals had pretty weak drafts by my assessment. I think the Seattle Seahawks had the best draft, which is pretty weird because usually you you file the Seattle Seahawks under the, the worst draft category every year. But this year, <laughs> let's just say know, the most uni- Schneider just the most surprised. unique draft of the of usually of of the year. And you know, typically, the, you know, they'll find guys. But again, it's you know, it's all perceived value. I mean, we all seem to think, and I guess you know, over the years, you see where guys are slotted, and they just don't do that. And New England's much the same way. I mean, when we look at their draft, we're going to say like a lot of these guys. Geez, you could have had this guy, you know, two rounds later. They they just they just do what they want to do and again without any of these teams I mean the Rams didn't have a first or a second Arizona trades their first San Francisco obviously gave away a lot of capital to go up and get aforementioned Trey Lance the year before and Seattle with you know two seconds and a first you know you would hope they would they would have had a good draft and I I, I believe they did uh, and then you look at their roster you got to believe all these guys are going to have a really, really good chance of making the team for sure. And then several of them are going to have prominent roles on that team. You know, especially, I think, the defensive backs, uh, obviously the edge rusher and Mafe. Cross, I think, is a day one starter. Kenneth Walker, who knows what's going on with Rashad Penny. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, it was very, this was odd because it wasn't odd. Right? I mean, if that makes sense for Seattle. Okay, very good. All right, so that is going to do it for us this week, gang. We appreciate you downloading and, and jumping in there. Uh, get the opportunity. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe. But uh, for my partner, Alex, I'm Lou on the way out. Peace.